Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back. We're about to wrap up Paul's letters today with the last letter that he wrote. Um, 2 Timothy is, from everything we can tell, uh, the last correspondence that we have preserved for us from the Apostle Paul. And it's really moving to think about this letter as a, as a farewell address to Timothy, his child in the faith. I remember the first time that really hit me. I was at a, a young men's camp, kind of a Bible study camp in Alabama, and there was a good brother teaching First and Second Timothy that summer. And I hadn't, I like, I'd read this passage in chapter four before, but it had never really sunk in that like, no, really, like Paul's about to die when he writes this, and it gives a weight to the words that he writes, especially at the end when he talks about you know I've finished the faith, finished the race, I've kept the faith. It's really moving um, when you put this letter in its context of uh, the end of Paul's life. And so we'll uh, talk about that more as we go through. But Yeah, so Second Timothy is obviously um, very similar in nature to First Timothy as Paul is writing to the same young man and encouraging him in some of the similar ways. But there are some background things that we'll just revisit that we talked about in First Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a close companion of Paul's. Paul really saw Timothy like, like a child of his. We saw parts of 1 Timothy that said that, and we'll see some in 2 Timothy as well. But Paul picked him up in Acts the 16th chapter and uh, took him along with him to preach and to teach the gospel. And in Acts 16, we had learned that Timothy's mother was a Christian, but his father was a Greek. The implication in the text was likely that his father wasn't a Christian at all. It was just pagan, but his mom was a Jew and also a Christian. And so... Not only do we learn in Second Timothy that what his mom's name was, but we also learn that his grandmother was a Christian. We learn what her name is. Uh, so his grandmother's name was Lois and his mother was Eunice. We'll see that more in just a second. Um, so Timothy not only was a close companion of, of Paul's as he was out teaching and preaching, but he also was kind of like a co-sender of some of the epistles that Paul will write to the different churches. Uh, Timothy had close work with the Corinthians um, and other churches as well. And so it was natural that, that Paul would kind of co-send these letters and have Timothy sign off, sign off on them because he had a, um, a certain weight with these congregations because he had worked closely with them. But we learn at the end of Hebrews that Timothy was in prison at some point as the Hebrew writer is calling upon the, that church there to, to send, send up prayers for Timothy. As for the context of 2 Timothy, we're not 100% sure where Timothy is. Uh, Many speculate that he's still in Ephesus, but there's really nothing in the text that solidifies that, uh, so we're not 100% sure where Timothy is. But wherever he is, we know he's doing good work. And uh, this is, like Stephen said, Paul's last letter to Timothy. Yeah, and one of the reasons we think that this is a separate imprisonment from the prison letters that he wrote earlier, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, is the tone is very different. We talked about Philippians 2, or excuse me, Philippians 1, where he says, you know, to live as Christ to die is gain, but I'm pretty sure I'm getting out. You yeah. know, like by your prayers, I'm going to be delivered. 
But here in 2 Timothy 4, again, when he writes those moving words at the end, uh, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, you know, etc. He really seems convinced that this is over. Like in, in, in his first imprisonment, he seemed like, hey, it's fine if I die. Like, I'm good. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to stay. And this time he's like, it's fine if I die, but I'm, I'm headed out. Like, this is, this is it. Um, and so that's what's led many to speculate. Like, hey, this is probably a second imprisonment in Rome where Paul is writing to Timothy. And uh, we'll see Paul give kind of some final notes to his son in the faith as uh, we wrap up these letters of Paul. So as we look at the kind of the outline of 2 Timothy, um, it has kind of, I guess, three big parts to it. Um, in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, a lot of what Paul's going to write about is his own suffering as he prepares to die and encouraging Timothy to share in that suffering, uh, which is such a powerful example coming from someone who, I don't know if it was like being on death row, but that seems to be the mindset that Paul's operating under as he writes this letter. Like he knows that he's about to die for the cause of Christ and he's encouraging Timothy to have that kind of endurance. And so that's going to take us from chapter one into chapter two, verse 13. And then a big section of the letter is going to largely be encouraging Timothy to stand firm against false teaching. There's a lot of that in first Timothy it continues in second Timothy uh, 2 Timothy 2.14, really all the way through chapter 4, verse 8, is where uh, Paul is going to exhort him in various ways, po- some positive, some negative, to be a good example against the backdrop of false teaching that Timothy's dealing with. And then there'll be some personal notes in chapter 4, verse 9 to the end. Yeah. So coming back into chapter 1, uh, you see some more personal notes, even from the very beginning. And the language Stephen was talking about earlier that makes you think about kind of the finality and possibly the, the last writing that Paul will get out to Timothy. You really see it as Paul reminisces on Timothy and his family. Uh, this is in Second Timothy 1 and verse 3. Paul will say, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that is in you as well. So Paul, you can kind of hear him uh, reminiscing here, you know, Timothy, I, I remember your start. I remember your tears. I remember your sincere faith. That really is rooted in your grandmother and your mother. And there's so much to be said there about our influence on our children or grandchildren, um, if you're listening and have grandkids, uh, the influence that we can have on them when it comes to spirituality and uh, things about Christ. And that clearly had an impact on Timothy, and Paul is recognizing that here. And so you, you can kind of hear Paul, you know, thinking about those things and getting emotional as he talks about them. Yeah, it really is um like you say, powerful to see Paul as an as an old man here, um, thinking about how much he loves Timothy, and and also thinking about the generational faith, like you mentioned with Lois and Eunice, and now Timothy. And one of the things I think is powerful to point out here is that, like you mentioned in kind of the introductory comments, Eunice was in a tough spot, uh, being married to an apparently an unbeliever, but to see how many people 
that that mom touched through her son Timothy is just really powerful. Um, and Lois as well, his grandmother. Uh, you never know how many people you're going to touch through one person that you really encourage. And, and most importantly, your kids, if you have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, never underestimate the power of that. You yeah. can really see that through Lois and Eunice's example here with Timothy. Yes, evangelism begins in the home uh, with, with the ones that we love and that we're closest to. So in verse 6, there's kind of a, a cool idiom. Actually, it would be cool if you would read that in the ESV, Stephen. I think it's a little more clear in verse 6 and 7. Oh, yeah. He says, um, First Timothy or 2 Timothy 1, 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here, Paul, it's interesting to think about you know Timothy in other sections of Paul's writings to him, we get the implication that perhaps fear uh, is something that Timothy struggled with. And here Paul is reminding him to fan into flame the gift of God. You know, kind kind of, I guess the idea is to like blow into the embers and make it kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, rouse up there. Um, And that God gives us this power of love and discipline not to be fearful. And so it's cool to see Paul you know, encouraging Timothy in that way. Yes. And that gives way to this discussion of suffering. Uh, Paul uses himself as an example, starting in verse 8 and following, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then he inserts more message about the gospel, about how he's called us to make us holy. Um, He's manifested Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's particularly relevant to Paul's situation as he's mm-hmm. facing death. Yeah, great point. And I love the verse 12, his famous verse, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Uh, even though Paul is facing death itself, he's not afraid and he's not ashamed. There's a really cool uh, pattern of that word ashamed uh, in this last part where in verse 8 he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our, our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Um, and then Paul says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I've believed. And then he'll say again down in verse uh, 16, uh, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. That there's this theme in Second Timothy of boldness, even in the face of false teaching and of even of death and persecution. And Paul is inviting Timothy to share in the suffering, but not to suffer in fear and shame. To suffer with a spirit of power, and love and self-control like he says in verse 7 and that's powerful I mean it's one thing to talk about that it's another thing to write those words from a prison cell in Rome when you know you may well lose your head in the coming days mm-hmm. and um, that's moving when you think about Paul penning these words uh, in the face of death yes and so in chapter 2 uh, verses 1 through 7 this section that, that's about encouragement to endure is just 
so well heard, I think, by Timothy as Paul has lived such a long life. And if you can kind of think of a, a father who has a profession and, uh, you know, he's lived a long life in that profession and he, and he hands that profession off to his son, you know, th- that son needs to listen to the father. That, that father has lived a long life in the same exact walk. And in a similar way, as Timothy is following in the footsteps of Paul, one of the things he needs to realize is that persecutions are going to come. That's going to be discussed here in a little bit. But also that you, you have need of endurance to be strong because there are a lot of things in front of you that are going to try and ensnare you and entangle you. And so Paul uses a, a couple of really cool analogies to help Timothy understand this in, in 2 Timothy 2. Um, in, in verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Uh, verse 5, the second one he uses, is also, also if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And then thirdly, in verse 6, he says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Um, and so we, we need to count the cost and be ready to endure in all of these trials is what Paul is really getting at here. And don't be entangled in things that distract from your mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that obviously is a good encouragement to us as well, uh, to, to do away with the distractors and focus on the mission ahead. Yeah. And I also love backing up to verse 2, that Paul seems very aware that he's going to be leaving soon, and he really wants to see the cause of Christ go forward. And so we need to soldier forward, like he says in the following verses. But in verse 2, he talks about this sequence of passing the message on. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's four parties in this sequence here. There's Paul at the beginning, what you've heard from me, He's entrusting it to Timothy uh, to, to listen and learn. And now Timothy is to entrust this to faithful men. Uh, so Timothy is not only to teach others, but equip them to be teachers, just like Paul has equipped Timothy to be a teacher. So Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and they're going to then teach others at the end of the verse. So that's the fourth part of this. Mm-hmm. And so as we are taking this treasure of the good news to people, we need to not only help people to know it themselves, but to then help others. And we're hoping that's one of the things we can do even with this podcast is to try to summarize books of the Bible, help people see the big picture, but do it in a way that other people can then say, hey, like, hey, this is what this book's all about. Here's what the Word of God is about. Um, and so it's just helpful to have that kind of running at the back of our minds as we're teaching people. And Paul's especially mindful of that because he's like, I'm not going to be here. And it's going to be the people that I've taught who are continuing to teach after I'm gone. And uh, again, having that backdrop of Paul's the impending end of his life really brings some of this into clearer focus as to what his mindset is as he's getting ready to depart. And so... After this, Paul kind of recenters our focus on why we suffer and who we're suffering for. Remember Jesus Christ, he says in verse 8, risen from the dead, descendant of David, 
according to my gospel. And I love how Paul says this in verse 9, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Mm-hmm. You know, here they, they may imprison Paul. They might put Timothy in jail. And we know from Hebrews 13 that Timothy will go to jail, but the word of God cannot be imprisoned. Um, and in fact, it's interesting in the book of Acts, as you read the, the different times the apostles are arrested or persecuted, it really just makes the word spread like wildfire. Uh, th- this is something that cannot be contained because it is such a powerful message. And so Paul says that he endured through these things, ultimately uh, through Jesus Christ, and he's doing it so that he can obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. And so chapter 2, 11 through 13 gives us another one of these trustworthy statements. We saw one of them back in 1 Timothy 3. But here is the next one that says, uh, and if you're reading along at home, your Bible might set this off in a bit of a different font or typesetting to emphasize that this is likely a poem. It is a trustworthy statement, verse 11. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so uh, I don't know if this is something Paul just came up with on the spot and, uh, or if this was possibly an early Christian hymn that was being sang. Um, but it really is beautiful to help us refocus and realize who all this is about and that even when we're feeling faithless, he is faithful and remains faithful. He will not deny himself. Just a lot of hope packed in those three verses. Yes. Again, you see that in Timothy and Titus. It's kind of cool to see the little poems that come up periodically. And um, I don't know if Paul wrote these originally or if he's quoting an early Christian hymn. Either way, he is uh, bringing these contrasts to light. And again, in light of his own death, if we've died with him, we'll live with him. Um, So share in suffering. So this gives way to the second big section of this letter um, where he's going to give Timothy a series of encouragements uh, to say, hey, here's what you need to do, starting in Chapter 2, verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which is no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And it goes on to talk about other practical exhortations, warning him even against specific people, Um, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had said that the resurrection had already happened. They're upsetting people's faith. But I appreciate that through all of this, he's, Paul's going to give some negative warnings, but then he's going to give some positive reinforcement as well. I like verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so he brings to mind a couple of verses here from Korah's Rebellion in number 16 and says, hey, like, you be on the right side. The Lord knows those who are his. And... He tells Timothy himself, you need to make sure that you're doing what's right. He uses an analogy in verses 20 through 21 and 21 about honorable and dishonorable vessels and say, hey, cleanse yourself so that you can be an honorable vessel. The Lord can use you either way, but one is a, a much preferable way to serve, um, a way of honor. And then this is a famous verse in 2 Timothy, verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, So much practical application there. But again, you see the negative and the positive. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, love, peace. Um, 
that's one thing that's so helpful about these letters is is Paul has some hard things to say to Timothy and Titus about false teaching, about how dangerous it is. But he never fails to back up by saying, get this stuff out, but fill your life yeah. with these good things. And I also appreciate Paul's uh, encouragement to keep their attitude in check even when there are false teachers around in verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. I mean, Tide, or excuse me, Timothy, he knows what's right. Uh, and it would be really easy, I think, for him to want to bully his way through and say, you know, you're just wrong and just kind of be mean about it. Uh, but Paul is encouraging him, you know, you still need to be kind to all and you need to be patient when you're wronged. And that is so hard to do. But with gentleness, correct those who are in opposition. So mm-hmm. the attitude of a bond servant that is in the face of false teachers is described here. And uh, it would do as well to mimic these attitudes whenever we're faced with false teachers or just people in general who fit this category of of uh, opposing God and his will. Yeah, and that's exactly what Paul moves on to talk about in chapter 3. Uh, it's interesting in this section 3, 1 through 9, there's uh, four different loves that are mentioned. Uh, in verse 2, there's two of them. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And, of course, there's a long list of negative attributes here that uh, Paul says, hey, this is what's going to happen. Uh, people are going to act like this. But he mentions another one in uh, another two of them in verse 4, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And there's a lot that can you can meditate on in just those four descriptions there, you can either be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, or you can be lovers of God. Yeah. And where we put our heart, uh, what is it Jesus said, right? Where your heart is, there your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's uh, powerful to see that contrast of love here. I don't know how the ESV says it, but the end of verse 3 in the New American Standard, it says haters of good. And so you have the opposite of lovers of God, oh, but you have haters of good. And mine says not like, loving good. Oh, so, not loving good. Go. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it gets to the point for some folks where it's not only they don't care what God thinks, but they are hostile to the things that God thinks and says. And the thing is, I, I don't think Paul is trying to predict a singular time in history where this is going to occur. Right, Stephen? I mean, this is this is something that is going to happen in Timothy's lifetime, and it has certainly happened in our lifetime as well as we look out in the world and see people who fit this category, but the gospel doesn't change. It still has the same solutions for people, and it's really no surprise that after Paul describes that people are going to become this way, and really, maybe you think about brethren, people who are Christians becoming this way, Paul will go into detail uh, in verses um, 10 to really into chapter 4, on persecution again. Uh, he'll say, if you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, Timothy would have been familiar with those. Uh, Paul says, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's something you're not going to be able to escape, especially the more hostile the world becomes toward Christianity you are going to have to face persecution. 
and we have to be ready for that. Um, Paul was not the only one that was sounding the alarm about persecution, but Jesus was upfront with it about his di- or with, upfront about persecution with his disciples whenever he called them, and so we should be ready for that as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that might have been the first time that Paul met Timothy is when he was going through those persecutions at Iconium and where he Lystra. Was, where he was stoned. He was stoned, correct. right, yeah. yeah. And so he's like, hey, you remember, you know, when we first met, you saw some of these things that I, I went through. Because mm-hmm. uh, we know Timothy was there from Lystra, if I remember correctly. And um, he picks him up on his second journey. He's stoned on his first journey. But uh, it's interesting to think about, you know, Timothy knew when he got into this that this is going to be hard. And now Paul here is facing the ultimate sacrifice of giving his life, even though he... They have already thought he had given it when he was left for dead there at Lystra. But uh, he's back up, and he's been able to do a lot more good work by God's grace. But now he's ready to lay down his life for good um, here at the end. So I think it's really cool to see how chapter 3 flows right into chapter 4. At the end, he commends the word of God to Timothy and says, Listen, this is the word that is able to make you wise for salvation. It says that in verse uh, 15 and then verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so it's kind of a bad chapter break. After commending the word of God, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So after commending the word of God and building that up, he says, preach it. Don't hold back. This is your mission. This is your work. You Know the word and teach it. You got the cure, man. Go out and, and share it. Preach it. But I do love the balance there. I get really excited when I think about verse 2. As Steve and I are both preachers, you know, yeah, you know, you get behind it. I, Preach it, right? In season, out of season, whether they like it or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And you hear all those words of, I am just, I'm out there doing it, you know? But the end of verse 2, with great patience and instruction, you're going to have to be patient with people. People are at all different levels in their walk with God. And when you bring the word to them, they're going to be all over the place when it comes to receiving it. So you have got to be patient in those moments but there is a a scary reality that paul reminds timothy of in verse three that there will be a time where they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled as the new american standard says it they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths the the reality is brethren will get to the point in some places where they don't want to hear the truth anymore. But they still like the church thing. Like They still like the God thing, and they, they might even still believe in God. And so what are they going to do whenever the the voice of the congregation, the, the one that's doing the teaching and preaching, is teaching the things that they don't want to hear? Well, they'll get whoever they want to to come in. And this is the idea of, of having their ears tickled. They, they want to feel good. They want to hear what they want to hear. And... It's, it's sad that that's going to happen. But what does Paul say in verse 5? But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Uh, Paul basically says, yeah, that's going to happen, Timothy. But that doesn't change what you do. Mm-hmm. You still have a responsibility. 
yeah, that's unfortunate that that's going to happen, and you'll likely see that in your lifetime. But that doesn't change what your responsibilities are. And that, that's an important thing to realize, that there are circumstances outside of our control that we can't do anything about, but that does not control how we react. Mm-hmm. There is still a mission for Timothy to be doing the work of an evangelist. And I think we've talked about that in other episodes. Uh, this word evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament. Um, here in Ephesians 4 and then in Acts 21 about Philip the evangelist. But it's just the idea of a good newser. <laughs> Paul's basically saying, Timothy, whether people you know, at church want to hear you or not, you still go out and tell the good news. <laughs> That's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And th- there's something just so refreshing about that Stephen and like nice to hear the the work of teaching and preaching boiled down like that that you just need to go out there and tell the good news amen and I think this final exhortation to Timothy it just fits so well with what Paul's about to say like you you preach the word you do this fulfill your ministry because verse 6 I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's moving uh, to think about Paul penning these words Mm -hmm. at the end of his life. And as Timothy is now in the thick of the fight, he's going forth into battle, Paul's laying down his armor. He says, okay, I've, I've finished. Uh, he describes it as a fight, as a, a race, and that he's kept the faith. Of the, he's been trustworthy. And now he's done, and he can look back. And despite all the years that he spent not knowing Jesus, he can look back and say, as soon as I learned the truth, from that moment on, I have done everything that I could for the cause of Jesus and the cause of his kingdom. And, and what a what a blessing. I mean, Paul knows he was far from perfect. Um, it was God's grace the whole time that made him who he was. And he says that right in 1 Corinthians, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But he can also look back and have the peace of knowing I gave it everything that I have. Yeah. There's a a, a song we sing that I really like the line says, would you know the peace that comes by giving all? I really like that line coupled with what Paul's saying here that he's totally spent. Like he's like, all right, I, I gave it all. I left it all on the battlefield and now I'm being gathered home knowing that I did what God yeah. wanted me to do and glory to God for that. And he talks about the crown that he's expecting. And again, not him, just him, but like this is motivation for Timothy to endure suffering. Like there's a crown for you. I mean, it's not about our personal glory. It's about the Lord, the righteous judge, honoring us. It's his approval that we want. It's pleasing the one who enlisted us as a soldier, like he said back in chapter 2. Yes. And so it's just powerful to, to see Paul's confidence in the Lord um, yeah. and in his service here at the end. And I just love, like, as Paul talks about the judge here, like, I think when we think about approaching God as the judge, people think about that in a fearful way. Paul approaches the judge here in a joyous way. He's excited. He's ready. And there is a sense in which we can approach God the judge in that way, Mm -hmm. not because of our own self-righteousness or because of anything we've done, but because of what he did through his son Jesus. And so I think it's just really cool to see this end of judgment 
where we can be excited for that day because we know whom we have believed. Um, and so it really is a, a beautiful thing. And just that idea of being poured out as a drink offering is, mm-hmm. is such a vivid image of pouring out our lives to God, as you've already emphasized, Stephen. Yeah, he, says, he said that back in Philippians 2, yeah. uh, verse 17. We talked a little bit about it there. Yeah. So you come to the end of the letter and um, just various instructions, uh, personal notes here. Uh, one more uh, love that happens here in verse 10. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Um, and, and so it seems like there's some, there's really a, a hint of sadness here at the end that a lot of people have gone on, some for bad reasons, some for good reasons. But he says in verse 11, Luke alone is with me. All right, get Mark and bring him with you. He's very useful to me for ministry. Um, John, Mark, and Paul had had a pretty severe falling out after the first journey they'd taken together. and But now they've reconciled, and he wants Mark here at the end. So I think that's notable to see. And so he asks for Timothy to come soon. Uh, he knows that winter's coming. Uh, he warns him again here at the end about a couple of individuals, Alexander the coppersmith. You know, watch out for him. And apparently the trial is not going well. Uh, he says in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came, came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Mm-hmm. You see Paul's mercy here. But verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to, and, uh, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's just so cool to see Paul understanding that even if no one is beside him, the Lord is. And Paul goes down in in the books as, as one of many in the Bible who stood alone but knew that God was with him. Um, there are so many examples of that in the scriptures. And that's a call to Timothy that there will be a time where he's alone. And there might be a time where we're alone, but we're not. God is with us. He is standing right by our side, and he will rescue us. And we need to be thankful for that. I mean, isn't that exactly what, what the Christian hope is that no one else has? That even if we lose our life, we will still be rescued in the end. If you do not have that, you have nothing. You have hope in nothing else. Uh, only faith in God can provide you that assurance of salvation and hope to come. And so Paul emphasizes that here in a very real way as his life is about to end. But in verses 19 through 22, you see some more greetings um, from, you know, to Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, names that we've heard before, and a few other um, personal notes to Timothy. Verse 21, make every effort to come before winter and a few other that send their greetings. Verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And as far as we know, those are the last words uh, from Paul. Grace is one of the last words on his pen as, uh, as he gets ready to depart. And so looking at this last letter, you know, someone's last words are so important. Um, it's cool to look at the farewell addresses of the Bible. Sometimes Samuel has a farewell address. Moses has a farewell address. Joshua. And... Uh, this last letter of Timothy is just one of my favorites for that reason. That when you feel the weight behind these words, you can just tell, man, Paul leaves Timothy with so many good things to dwell on that will keep him going through the hardships ahead. Yeah, amen. 
So Lord willing, next week we are going to get into a different section of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has come to be one of my favorites. I've really enjoyed getting to study it and, and to read through it. And it's going to be a little bit of a different pace than what we're used to. Uh, got to speed up. We got, we're going to have to speed up to get all th- uh, through all 13 chapters. But also there's some pretty uh, hard-hitting concepts in Hebrews that we will do our best to summarize. But it is a beautiful book with an unknown author, and that's okay. We'll talk more about that next week, and we'll, Lord willing, discuss that then. Yeah, thank you guys for listening to the podcast today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review so we can reach more people. If you're interested in studying the Bible with us online or in person, uh, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949. You can text or call or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on group studies or worship, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.